Well, welcome, Amplify Church. I'm so glad that you're joining me online. And today at the Garner location, we're meeting at 9 and 1030, but you've decided to stay home and join us. And I'm really thankful that you're uh, tuning in. And um, I loved seeing last week we opened, we, we uh, love seeing so many people and it was good to, to see people we've missed and we also missed you. And um, it's been amazing to see as people have gotten back together. It was a little strange. We distanced from each other and, and staggered people coming in and staggered seating and limited bathroom use to a few people at a time. But, um, but it was a great service. And kids were with us and they did very well. And it was a family style. And we just were really thankful for those who were able to come. And we look forward to the day when you feel comfortable enough to come. But until then, uh, we're thankful that you can uh, meet with us online. Our Willow Spring campus is, is um, coming together very quickly and we're very excited about that. This week carpet went down and flooring has gone down and lights and video and AV have all gone up and uh, the kids area is being painted and it's just a really exciting time. Um, and so as we uh, continue to move forward we're getting closer and closer to the date in which we will eventually be uh, there as our main campus. And so we're excited for all that God is doing. Well, this week has been quite a week, as was the week before. And people have many opinions. And if you say something, some people love it and some people hate it. And you say, you say something you could have said a month ago and suddenly some people are so enraged by it and other people are glad you finally said it. And so this past Tuesday, I'm going home and I feel like in some ways I had the stress of the world on me. And I know I didn't, but I just felt it. And you ever felt like that? And I'm, I'm uh, trying to close down here and open back up in the actual services, but help the building to uh, be prepared to be given to another church and also building our new location. And, and, I just, and in all the, the tensions that have gone on, uh, we're in the middle of this crisis of racial and financial and political and medical. And I'm on the phone with a friend who's a pastor. And he's telling me all the troubles that his church has. Thank goodness I don't have most of his struggles. But I pull into my driveway and my two boys, they, they meet me kind of at the garage as I pull the car in. And they're shirtless and shoeless and tan because they've been outside all day playing with their little friends. And a rule we have in our house is that I don't, I don't come inside talking on the phone. So I stay in the car till I get my conversation done and then I leave it there and get out to be with my family and to love on them and give them all kinds of attention. And so I'm talking on this conversation. It's kind of a heavy conversation and I don't really have answers. I'm just listening. And in front of me, my boys are doing everything they can to make me laugh. It's not really a laughing kind of conversation, but they're, they're doing goofy things. They're making faces and they're using things from the garage to make me laugh. And, and, um, as I, was, as I was watching them, but also listening actively, the scripture from Philippians came to my mind. This is, what, this is what Paul writes. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. My calling is to love my wife and my kids the best that I can. My calling is to raise my children, my two young men and my one young lady, to understand Christ's sacrifice, to understand and believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and to, to have that in a deep and a meaningful way so that it affects how they live. And I want my kids 
to serve Jesus above all else. I want them to be well-rounded. I want them to be educated and smart and be able to play an instrument and play sports and, and all the things I want them to have. But I desire and am called to make sure that they understand what Jesus has done for them. And in that moment, it's like the stresses of the day just left themselves in my car or outside of my driveway. And I leaned into the prize of the calling to shepherd my family well. Because if I shepherd them well, then I can shepherd you in many ways well. Then I won't be disqualified. And, and then I can, I can give my voice to you and give my, um, my uh, experience and love for Jesus to you as you give it to the world. We're walking through the, the books of Paul. We're taking a cue from Paul because Paul was the greatest missionary of the New Testament and maybe the greatest missionary ever. And I think we need a piece of his heart transplanted into ours. So we've been reading through his books, and, um, and we're reading through Philippians and Colossians. And, and he writes in Philippians these words. I could read the whole book to you almost. It's so good. But, but this is what he writes in Philippians chapter 3. I think it can speak to us today. Verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. As if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Well, what is he talking about? What have we attained? Well, we've been saved. We've been sanctified. We've got faith that can move mountains, and we've got works that prove that our faith is real. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have as us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. In other words, don't look around and take your example from anybody. Look to those who have a holy lifestyle, who love Jesus Christ with all their heart, who will sacrifice their life for the kingdom and follow their example. Man, if I'm completely honest, the truth is you'd be better off shutting your news off on your TV for a while. You'd be better off uh, going a little bit quieter on social media channels that have just influenced you in, an, in a negative and an um, unhealthy way. And I really encourage you to have the hard conversations in person with somebody who you have a relationship with because that's how I think change is really affected and maintained. And you keep your eyes on Christ and you look to those who amplify the beauty of Jesus into a broken world. You don't look to a broken world for how to respond. One of my favorite um, people to, to read about is a lady named Corey Ten Boom. She was a Jewish Holocaust survivor who, along with her family, served and saved as many as 800 Jews that were um, held um, away from the Nazis who were searching for them. But eventually her family was, um, was ratted out and they were sent to to these concentration camps. Well, Corey survived, and she tells her story in The Hiding Place. And After everything had ended and she, she was going back to uh, communicate God's love in all uh, places around the world, she was in a church in, in Germany, and in the back she saw what she describes as a, um, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat clenching his brown hat between his hands. And people were filing out, and she said in that day, um, in Germany, when people were done with the talk, everybody would stand up quietly and leave quietly, 
and then you would, you would go about your business. And so people were filing out of the room where she had just spoken, and they were moving along. And, and, and she was in Germany, this defeated Germany, and her message was, God forgives. And she finished with, when we confess our sins, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And in one moment, she says she sees the man from the back make his way toward the front, the guy in the overcoat with the hat. And in the next moment, instead of seeing what he's dressed like in that moment, she sees a blue uniform and a visor cap with the skull and crossbones. And it rushes back to her, this, this huge room with harsh overhead lights and the, and the pathetic, she says, pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor and the shame of walking by this man naked and, and she says, I could see my sister, her frail frame ahead of me, ribs poking out sharply and, and her skin like parchment, how thin she was. And her sister Betsy and her were arrested in this, and put in this concentration camp, and they were concealing Jews but had been turned in. And this man was a guard at the concentration camp that they were sent to. And here he stands in front of her, Hand thrust out, and this is what he says, a fine message. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And she said, I spoke so freely and glibly of forgiveness, fumbling in my, my pocketbook rather than taking his hand. Surely, she said, he wouldn't remember me. Of course, how could he remember one prisoner amongst all those thousands? She said, but I remembered him and the abuse. And it was the first time since the release that she came face to face with a captor, and she said her blood seemed to just freeze. And he said again, you mentioned that in your talk you were stationed in Ravensbrück. I was a guard there. And he didn't remember her. But since that time, he said, I have become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, his hand came out and he asked, will you forgive me? And Corey Tim Boom stands frozen. And she says, my sins had always been forgiven. How could I not forgive? But could a simple words just make everything forgiven? Her sister had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? And she stood there for a few seconds while his hand was held out. And she did the most difficult thing she said she's ever done. Was to shake his hand and forgive him. She says later in life, one of the things that were more difficult for her was the fact that a group of friends, about 15 years before her passing, deeply wounded her, publicly um, embarrassed her, gave her reason to have unforgiveness in her heart. And what she said was, I thought that when I had forgiven that guard, that there was no more forgiveness that could get me. There was no more unforgiveness I would ever have. Like I would always be able to forgive. If I could forgive him, I could forgive anybody. And when her group of friends deeply wounded her, she said she woke up one night very angry. Then she woke up a second night very angry. Losing sleep, frustrated, 
not able to forgive, and then she would try to forgive and then wake up again. And she said she had to work over and over and over because if a stranger had hurt her, okay, but it was her friends. It was these people she called her friends. She found herself frustrated and, and unable to forgive as, as easily. She eventually does forgive them, but she describes it as a bell in a cathedral-style church with a rope hanging down. And when you pull the rope and the bell swings, it makes the sounds, right? It makes a, a ding and a dong and back a ding. And, and, then, it, and then it swings and it, stop, it stops making sounds. It's just swinging until it eventually becomes still. And she said, in life, to, to continue to forgive people, you have to continue to be vigilant, to pull on that rope, and to continue to forgive again and again and again. I think we could learn a lot from her and from her example. I choose in my life to, to again, forgive and forgive and forgive. And I find her experience to be exactly true in my life. I could be hurt by people who really aren't, you know, all that, all that close to me or aren't, aren't people I know, and they may say things, okay. But the people who know me maybe the most and hurt me are usually the deepest. And yet, as the follower of Christ, I know that I have to continue and continue and continue to keep my hand on that rope and to continue to forgive. One of her most famous quotes, and my favorite, is this. She said, if you look to the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you will be depressed. If you look at Christ, you will find rest. Paul would go on to say the same thing. Verse 18, he says this. If you've got a Bible, you can read with me. For as I have often told you and tell you again, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Chuck Colson was involved in a political scandal years and years and years ago. He got saved in prison and eventually uh, started um, going to prisons to take the gospel to prisoners. And he says, in every action we take, we are doing one of two things. We are either helping to create a hell on earth or we, we are helping to bring down a foretaste of heaven. We are either contributing to a broken condition that the world is in or we participate with God in transforming the world to reflect his righteousness. We're either advancing the rule of Satan or we're advancing the reign of God. Paul would say the same thing. He would say you're citizens of heaven. So act like that. On earth. You say, well, what does that look like? If, if you were going to tell me some things, I mean, there's a lot of things that would describe being heaven on earth. But if I had to get even just a little bit more practical, I would say it was things like uh, be a people of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said, for they will inherit the earth. Or be a people of forgiveness, as we've talked about. Jesus' words on the cross, even after being wrongly convicted, wrongly accused, um, falsely accused, and then, and then crucified like a criminal while doing nothing wrong. Painful, painful experience. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Or what if we're a people of repentance? And Jesus said time and time and time again, 
Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. The, the writers of the New Testament, Paul, will tell us again and again, be ready for the, the second coming of Christ is soon, so repent and, and believe and be saved. Let your work prove your faith. We're going to be people who, who work and pray. The Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal their land. So it's going to take prayer and it's going to take really hard conversations. One of the things I think is that those conversations happen best in relationships. Over the last year, I've, I've done my best to, um, to listen to other people better. Forget what is going on right now and all the things that are happening. I decided I can listen better than I have been. So in conversations, I really try to listen before I speak. And I try to really hear what the person's saying from their heart, even if I disagree, and then have a conversation once we have a relationship that we can, we can build on. And so I've, I've let people who are younger than me speak into my life, and it has really changed my thoughts in some ways. Thoughts in ways that I thought I had nailed down. Or I've had older people share me, things with me um, who love me and in a relationship could, could be a guide for me that I thought I knew out of maybe a, um, a, na a, a naive viewpoint that they had seen because they had been there and done that. And, and that relationship could bear the weight of, a, of an uncomfortable conversation. I believe that those people I trust who trust me and who love God can help me in my calling to my family, to my church, and ultimately to the world. And I believe that moving forward would allow me, if I'm, as the writer of James says, to be quick to listen but slow to speak and slow to become angry. I believe God um, can use me and you. I get myself in trouble oftentimes when I speak before I think and before I listen. And then when I get angry because it doesn't go somewhere, it just all falls apart. But that's on me. I believe God's in control of all things, even during this time. I, I think we should be people of prayer. I do think that doesn't mean that I should lean on my shovel and pray for a hole. I think I'm committed to personally working and digging in many areas of my life and my church and my country that need more of Jesus. And some of those are very obvious in seasons right now, and some of those are not so obvious and just personal things. And I don't think I have to share all of them for the world to see, but I do think that as a Christ follower, having those hard conversations is what Jesus would want us to do in his name. And then I think we should also, lastly, to bring heaven on earth, I think we ought to be people of the intersection. You say, what, what is the intersection? It's like the crossroad. If, 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 um, if concepts were, were at a crossroads, we are at that intersection. The intersection of grace, we, we are heavily um, proponents of grace, but we're also proponents of truth. That, that at the intersection of where grace is given, but truth is spoken, that Jesus is found. At the intersection of Jesus being Savior, He can save us, but He also can be Lord of our life. Like he, he gets, we get all of Him when we get saved, but He gets all of us when He is Lord. That at the intersection, He can be found faithful. That at the intersection of the here and the now, Verse the then, where we, we call earth our home, but the Bible says this is not our, our, um, our, our, it's just a temporary dwelling. So we know we're citizens of heaven. We know that we are somewhat alienated here. We are aliens on this earth, the Bible says. So we are, we are uh, at this intersection of we are here, but we are citizens of there. So help us to live like it now.
Uh, Paul goes on in chapter 4 of Philippians. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I mean, that's kind of hard in this season, isn't it, to feel re- rejoiceful. I mean, to, to rejoice. But I say it again, he says, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. <laughs> what? I mean, does he know what we're going through? Coronavirus, tensions with, with the racial struggles that have surfaced, with, with the financial struggles and, and, and just the political drama. Does he know what we are going through? Does he know we've been home for a long time? He said, in every situation, you rejoice. And with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, you present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transforms all your understanding, will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. That, that's my prayer for you, because he, he finishes with this. Think on the things that are noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. And whatever you have learned or received, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. God, I love you today. I thank you for those who are watching and who may feel a stress in their life that they just need to let go of. God, I pray for those who would say, I need the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. I pray in a supernatural way that you would um, touch them even now, Lord. I pray for those who say, I need to be more of heaven on earth and more like Jesus. So God, help me. Help me to be a peacemaker. Help me to be forgiving. Help me to be a proponent of grace and truth and and a, a citizen of heaven while on earth. Lord, help us to pray bold prayers, but Lord, help us to to get after the hard work of having those conversations. God, help us as a people to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. God, may the peace that passes all understanding today reside in our hearts. We love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Love you guys.